Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Today, my interview is with David Morrell, author of many New York Times bestselling suspense and thriller novels. Morrell's latest novel, The Shimmer, is available in bookstores now. This interview was recorded live at Thriller Fest in New York City in July. Stay tuned for the interview. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Right. I'm at Thriller Fest today with David Morrell, author of many best-selling suspense novels, including First Blood, the novel that originally introduced the Rambo character to popular culture. Morrell's latest novel, The Shimmer, has just been published in hardback. Welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast, David. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, Can you tell the listeners about The Shimmer and give them a sense of what the book is about? Well, about five years ago, I was uh, reading my local newspaper. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, in the travel section, which I don't normally look at, but there was something in it that caught my eye, which talked about um, lights, what they called mysterious lights that appeared outside a town in West Texas called Marfa, which is spelled M-A-R-F-A. And uh, I knew about Marfa uh, previously uh, because it is the location where the James Dean movie Giant was filmed, Dean's last film. Uh, and he died, in fact, a couple of days after uh, shooting ended. And the, the, the article uh, just didn't mention much of that. They talked about these lights that appear. And the lights had been appearing since as long as anybody ever been in the area, which uh, goes back to the 1800s. In 1889, for example, there's a rancher who came through the area. He was just settling there. And uh, he saw lights uh, to the south and assumed that they were the campfires of marauders who'd come in from Mexico. 
the uh, never mind that the lights moved sideways and up and down and changed colors. <laughs> he 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 was he he looked for a rational explanation. And in the morning, uh, after they'd guarded the herd, uh, he went out with his men to look for where the campfires would have been and what have you, and found nothing. So these lights kept appearing during the First World War. Um, it was assumed that these lights belonged to Germans who were massing along the Mexican border preparing to <laughs> invade the United States. And there were, there was legitimate fear here because there were a lot of uh, Germans in Mexico uh, causing trouble, wanting to distract us from entering the First World War. Uh, and on and on and on. In 1980, there was something called the Marfa Ghost Light Hunt, in which uh, people on horseback, motorcycle, cars, trucks, uh, airplane, uh, looked for, well, they, it, they didn't have any trouble looking for the lights. The, those were visible, but trying to track them down, trying to find out their origin, and weren't very successful. And, and are these lights actually in the air? or They, they, are, the they hover over the ground. Okay. It's not like UFOs. Uh, it's, they hover over the ground, uh, let's say 5 feet, 10 feet, something like that. Change color, change position, and people who see them are quite transported. But the key here is that not everybody sees them. Uh, that if you and I went uh, on one night, uh, I might see them, but you would not. And if we came the next night, you might see them, but I would not. And it causes an interesting reaction in the crowd as a consequence, because even within a family, people seeing them or not seeing them. And, and what, you would, what you find is people saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not seeing them. Are you really seeing them? Or are you putting me on? This is all a bunch of baloney, right? You're, come on, quit tricking me, quit joking with me. There's nothing out there. And there's a kind of an annoyance factor. <clears throat> well, I got to thinking about that and why some people see things and others don't. And I decided I wanted to write a book uh, about uh, a, a phenomenon like the Marfalites. They're not I, I changed the name. I changed the town's name to a, a place called Rostov. Uh, Marfa is named after a, a character in a Russian novel. And so Rostov is a character in War and Peace. So that seemed like a good deal. And what I did was <clears throat> uh, imagine that the lights mirror the observer, the kind of person you are, affects what it is you're seeing or think you're seeing. Uh, so that if you were a hateful person, uh, you would, because of the lights, become more hateful. If you were an angry person, the lights would make you more angry. If you were a um, person who was extremely lonely and empty, the lights would fill you as if you'd seen God. And if you were a law enforcement professional skeptic, then you wouldn't see them at all because it isn't in your nature to see things. And um, so the basically the novel, which is an action novel, a lot of suspense, a lot of exciting things happening, terrifying things in some cases. Uh, at bottom, though, uh, it has the theme of what we see isn't always what we are, what is really there. And what we bring to what we look at often affects what we think we're seeing, so that the lights, um, as I said, become a mirror of the observer. And, and, and I mean, this is a very powerful theme in its way because we see 
often what we expect to see rather than what is really there. And and this is a book about taking away all preoccupations, pre, not preoccupations, but uh, preconceptions and uh, giving us, uh, teaching, trying to teach us to see directly and truly. Great. And again, the name of the book is The Shimmer. The and it's, Shimmer. It's, it's in bookstores now. Yes. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you, you co-founded the International Thriller Writers Organization yes. with Gail Lenz. Uh-huh. Did you ever expect it to grow as quickly <laughs> as it has? Well, no, no neither <laughs> as quickly or as, as, as big as it is. Gail and I um, had been part of a uh, conference in, uh, at the Arizona Biltmore in, in Phoenix that was put on by Barbara Peters and the... Um, Poison Pen uh, bookstore, a well-known bookstore in the country. Uh, and uh, Barbara had got together, Gail and I, and Vince Flynn, Lee Child, Kathy Reich, um, a number of people. And when we got together uh, uh, afterwards, we realized that we were all thriller writers and that we shared, this was interesting, that a mystery bookstore had got, gathered us together as thriller writers. And we said that we we maybe we needed an organization for thriller writers we each of us had been in a position where we'd been introduced you know i the creator of rambo in first blood you know people would say now here's the mystery writer david morell well, i'm i'm not a, by definition a mystery writer and what am i well i'm a thriller writer and so we thought it would be good to have an organization for thriller writers which we called the international thriller writers in i believe it was 2004 <clears throat> might have been 2005 uh, at a um, a readers uh, uh, and authors suspense uh, fiction conference called BoucherCon in Toronto, it was held that year. About 80, 80 of us met and agreed that yes, we wanted to have such a um, uh, an organization, and so we started with eighty members. And over uh, four to five years now, we have more than twelve hundred members, <clears throat> and um, our or, our purpose is to make our authors. Uh, try to be better writers, even better than they are, that to learn about what thrillers are and just to really explore the genre. Right. And at, and, this, and at the same time, to make readers understand the power and uniqueness and innovation that uh, that uh, genre that uh, pardon me thriller thrillers are capable of. Sure. And if someone is listening to this and is not familiar with the International Thriller Writers, where can they find uh, your organization well, online? Well, you can at? go on International Thriller Writers. Um, I, I would Google it uh, yes. myself because we have a a, a raft of <laughs> a bevy or whatever word we want to use, an enormous amount of, of, of links to our website. And uh, I think thrillerwriters.org might do it or thrillerwriters.com might do right. it. Or I mean, there's just our international thriller writers. So, okay. so if they just Google somewhere in there, they'll find out an sure. enormous amount about us. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Great, great. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, as someone who has been publishing for many years and has had many best-selling, uh, best-selling um, books, uh, you recently, several years ago, changed publishers. Yes. And I wonder, with 
um, all of the discussion lately regarding ebooks and the growth of ebooks. I wonder uh -huh. if you um, could talk about your thoughts in terms of the future of book publishing and where it's going. Well, change, you know, change is always inevitable. And as soon as we get settled into a given path, that's when we get in trouble. And uh, uh, for years, I had, this is my 37th year as a as a published author. And for years, I had been part of the traditional model of publishing, which I liken to an assembly line. And, you know, a book is delivered and it uh, gets handed to an editor, goes through a process in which it goes from department to department to department, and finally comes out the other end as a finished book. And it's possible that from one department to another, um, people uh, uh, quit or are fired or they get transferred or this, that, and the other thing. And the next thing you know, when the book is about to be published, there is no corporate memory of how the process <laughs> right. occurred. Right. And I, uh, I got to thinking there might be a better way. And my agent, uh, Jane Distel, uh, said that there's a company called, uh, now called the Vanguard Press, and that they were doing books in what they called a special project. Um, a, a standard publisher might do 20 or 30 books a month. Uh, uh, Vanguard does two. And they treat each book as a special project. And there is a, a core team that stays with the book, making decisions all the way through, outsourcing uh, covers and, and editorial, what have you. Uh, but uh, but maintaining that corporate memory, there might be about five people, and the author is one of them, and the author is given an amazing amount of power as if uh, he or she is actually part of the corporation rather than an author who uh, might feel just like a hired hand. And we, I got very excited about this model, and indeed uh, the power I was given uh, in terms of covers or flap copy or where I would tour or uh, I, I just can't think of all the uh, the number of, of, of uh, factors in which I was able to say, you know, I want to do this instead of that. And they said, fine. And I might get on um, before pub date sometimes as many 20 emails a day. Uh, that would uh, ask me to make decisions. It's one of those, be careful what you wish for yeah. things, because I had <laughs> often, I couldn't, some days I couldn't write. There was so much administrative stuff to do. They don't pay in advance. Uh, instead, they pay a higher royalty rate, and they start paying um, 30, I'm sorry, three months after pub date, and you get a check uh, once a month until the book is no longer earning money, as opposed to the traditional model where you have to wait a year after right. the, the, the book is published. And, and how has that experience worked? Oh, I loved it. I just, I mean, the independence, the creativity, this feeling of, hey, kids, let's put on a show, uh, of, of being there and not being ignored, of, 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 of actually having a, a decision-making ability that they have given me. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And uh, But you asked about other things. The internet, of course, is becoming a big force in terms of um, uh, one, one thinks of, uh, 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 in, of, of real t retails online with Amazon being sort of symbolic of, of many others in which you can now download electronic versions of books for Kindle. And I do a lot of uh, traveling for my work uh, on, on aircraft and I've seen an enormous amount of Kindles or similar Sony readers, uh, 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 people using these on aircraft. And I've been lately getting a surprising number of people contacting me through my website, which is davidmorell.net, the network of readers, davidmorell.net, um, uh, who ask me, are these books going to be available on Kindle or related things? And, and the answer is yes, they are. And in fact, we are putting together for a couple of my books, for The Shimmer and The Spy Who Came for Christmas, which was the previous book, uh, uh, 
a, 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 a espionage holiday book. Um, we're putting together a package for iPhone and iPod in which you can have the electronic version of the book to read. But as we know, sometimes that prints a little small on a phone or an iPod. Simultaneously, you can listen to the brilliance unabridged audio of the book. And if you want to pause and learn a little bit about me or see an interview or get, a, a, you know, some video or say a podcast uh, similar to what we're doing now um, that I that I did for the publisher, there are extras almost like, say, a DVD. Right. And this is a whole new way of looking at how to, to market a book. And ba the, the task is how can we make this more innovative? How can we reach more people? How can we adjust to the times? Because as I, as I said a moment ago, uh, if you don't change, um, you know, you're in trouble. Sure, sure. Um, a lot of writers have uh, a typical story in terms of how they originally got interested in writing, mm -hmm. whether it was a particular book or a particular author. You have a unique story. In, I do. In that it was a TV show, and yes. I wonder if you could share that. Oh, I love to do this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's actually a goal of mine. When I was 17, and I had a, we have to understand, I had a very troubled childhood. I was in a, I was put in an orphanage, and my mother, when she remarried, my father had died in the Second World War, and when, my mother, when she remarried to a guy that didn't like kids, and there was a lot of fighting, and I used mm. to sleep under the bed. I was so afraid, and and uh, I was going nowhere. I was really, a, a, I, I, I probably would have, I was ran with street gangs and committed crimes and things, and, but when I was 17, a TV show called Route 66 premiered, um, this is a classic golden age show from 60 to 64 it ran. It was about two young men in a Corvette convertible who drive across the United States. And the show used to say in search of America and in search of themselves. The show was filmed entirely on location across the United States. And the first time and only time that had been done. Uh, but what interested me was uh, uh, 17 years old. It still baffles me that I would be attracted to the scripts. Uh, they were an astonishing mix of, of action, real serious action, and thought-provoking dialogue. Sometimes long dialogue. One speech might go two or three minutes, and then <laughs> the characters would wail the hell out of each other. And, and it felt very real. Uh, and I learned that the same writer more or less did every uh, script. His name was Sterling Siliphant. And Sterling had uh, later received an, an Oscar for adapting John Ball's novel in the heat of the night. Uh, and I wrote Sterling a letter saying, basically, I wanted to be him. This is an amazing thing. A 17-year-old kid who, you know, going nowhere, who suddenly decides to be a writer and wants to be this television writer, a Sterling Siliphant. And, and, and Sterling responded <clears throat> and uh, encouraged me. And in large part, any success I have had is due to him. And I, I just love to be able to say that many, many years later, um, we by then knew each other and were having dinner together and socializing and were friends. And he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I had this new book, The Brotherhood of the Rose, uh, a espionage book that had just come out. And two brothers in an orphanage who are befriended by a CIA uh, person, but who doesn't tell them that he's CIA and basically trains them to be his private operatives. And um, Sterling said, I think I should, I'm going to go to NBC, he said. Uh, he was the king of miniseries writers at the time. He said, I'm going to go to NBC, and I will, uh, I think I can persuade them that they should do an action miniseries. 
And by God, he persuaded them and they bought the book. And I did some drafts of the teleplay and he did and somebody else did. And it was a wonderful opportunity to work with him. And one of the proudest moments of my career was when the, first of all, the, the miniseries premiered after the Super Bowl after <laughs> 1989. And, you know, a lot of people can say they had number one books, which I've never had on the New York Times, never had a number one book. But but none of those number one guys have ever had a miniseries after the Super Bowl, right? What? So I, you know, it just makes me laugh to say it. Uh, and but the the big deal, the proud moment was when, uh, as the credits unrolled, it said executive producer Sterling Silifant, and I just, you know, wonderful, wonderful thing. And now let me just add, uh, Route sixty six is now available on DVD. And it I, is. I was going to ask you that. Yes, it it is the first two seasons, and I keep telling people, please, if you like my work, go out. You know, buy early, buy often, just like you vote, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, get, get this, get Route 66 DVDs because I want the second, um, I want the remaining two years of the series to be available. Sure, sure. So, so follow that advice. Yeah, there you go. Go out. <laughs> Unlimber your check. <laughs> um, I, I know that you wrote an entire book about writing, yeah. so we could sit and talk for hours, but I wonder if you could uh, just very briefly talk about what I think is kind of a unique process when you start thinking about a book, mm -hmm. which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you basically write a letter yes, to yourself. Yes, that's right. Yes. And I wonder if you could just kind of describe that process. Well, I, I, I'm not an outline person. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. And what I decided to do, I just learned this. Uh, I had a, I was watching a TV show many, many years ago and Harold Robbins was being interviewed. No one thinks about Harold Robbins anymore, but he was a very famous author at one time. And and he uh, he pretended that his typewriter, this is how old it is, a typewriter, he pretended that his typewriter was a reader. And he was telling the story to the typewriter, and he talked to the typewriter, and he gave the typewriter a name. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. And out of that, I evolved a theory that I could talk to myself on the page in order to try to make myself understand the stories that I was writing. And I, so I write a letter to myself. And the first, uh, the early parts of it are, gee, I had an idea today. I don't know what it is, but I'm sort of trying to understand it. And then my alter ego would say, well, come on, what is it? Let's try, let's start, say what it is, just get a little bit down on the page. And then I say, oh, all right, if you really want that. And we, m m me, myself and I, right, <laughs> talk back and forth this way. And uh, by prodding myself and saying, come on, come on, get the words on the page and so what and why and, and things of that nature, I, I'm able to get uh, this very long letter that analyzes and elaborates on the idea for the story and at the same time uh, answers a question which I think is more important than anything, uh, which is, um, why is this project worth a year of my life? And that's really, really important to me because, yes, I do this for a living, but what I want is uh, to be able to say when it's done that the book's theme or the way it was written or something about the research or whatever about the book made me a fuller person and wasn't just done for, for money. And that's just so terrifically important to me. And I often these letters go 20 pages typed. Uh, and as I get near the end and I said, well, who would be the main character and where would this be said? And, you know, and I'm answering these questions and the beauty is they're on the page so that it's not like I was talking to somebody and I forgot what I said. Uh, it's on the page so I can come back and I can read what I've written and prime myself, uh, often say six months later, if I've been, if I decide not to do the book right away. 
and I, I find it to be a, a really valuable tool that near the end, I, and, and it was a, a book called The Fifth Profession, I was astonished to find. I said to myself, well, and I wrote this, I said, so where would this book begin? Well, it might begin in Athens. The, the ruins there could be a nice little thing. And I, you know, I'm, so I'm talking away to myself. And the next thing I knew without realizing it is that I was already one page into the book. <laughs> uh, so it's a really, really useful technique. And other writers having read the book, which is called The Successful Novelist, um, have, have found it to be very, very useful as well. Great, great. Um, I have one final question. As we mentioned earlier, you wrote the book First Blood, mm -hmm. which introduced the Rambo character, yep. which has become uh, an icon somewhat mm -hmm. of popular culture. Mm -hmm. And I should add, if someone has not read First Blood, that you sh they should not mistake the, the later depictions of Rambo. Right. But, but I wonder if you could just talk about what, it, you know, what the experience is to, to, you know, be channel surfing and see this icon <laughs> and know that. <laughs> well, it is, it is odd, you know, no one, no one can predict that level of uh, influence with, with a character. When the book First Blood was published in 1982, uh, the it uh, it had a, a a great reception. It was reviewed everywhere. It was taught in high schools and colleges, and and in fact, when Stephen King taught creative writing at the University of Maine, uh, First Blood was one of only two textbooks that he used. Uh, and then, of course, the movies came out in the 1980s, and and indeed, a, a recent one uh, in 2008, the fourth movie. Um, I mean, you can't predict this. You and certainly you can't predict the success, um, the 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 way that the character spread around the globe. You you can't predict this. And I I I often I I joke sometimes, and people think I'm kidding, and it is a joke, but it's also true uh, that. Um, I'm Rambo's father, and that the <laughs> character grew up, went out of my control, and went in various directions, just as a parent sees a, a, a child do. Um, the, uh, the the character had a lot of positive effect around the world. I know it, it became a symbol for people who were demonstrating against the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union collapsed, and a lot of people from Eastern Europe see Rambo as uh, kind of the symbol that they followed in order to break free of uh, Soviet domination. And um, uh, the psychological uh, aspect of it for me is that I could be watching. Uh, the other day, I was I was looking down uh, my cable listings to see what was showing, and there's First Blood and <laughs> Rambo First Blood Part Two and Rambo Three, and I thought, oh boy, they're having another Rambo festival, which they seem to have every other week. Right, <laughs> uh, and um, that for a moment, uh, the character has now become so so pervasive in our culture that sometimes just for a moment i forget that i created the character that the you know that it's it exists apart from me and then i say oh for god's sake that's my guy yeah <laughs> well great well thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us and again david morell's latest novel the shimmer is in bookstores now and you can find more information online at davidmorell.net You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.